Good morning, everybody. Well, welcome. We're going to pray, and then what are we going to do? We're going to dive into God's Word. So let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that you brought these kiddos here today, whether it was parents or neighbors or grandparents, whoever it was. We're just thankful that someone loved them enough to get them close to you, that they would hear the gospel, that you, Jesus, are king, and that they would respond in a way that they would abandon unto you, that they would put all of their hope, all of their faith, all of their trust, all of their everything, every day of their lives, completely in you, that that Jesus' king would be their hope and their testimony. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, when I was a little kid, I used to get into trouble with my mom if I brought toys to church. And my mom's actually here today, so I just wanted to say, ha, look at that. I brought toys to church. But this isn't just to, like, you know, make fun of my mom, which is not really what I'm doing, because I love my mom. I'm doing this because I wanted to ask you guys a question. And I wanted to ask you, when you think about these little figures, we got Hulk, and we've got Iron Man, and we've got Wolverine, and we've got Spider-Man, and we've got this other guy who's, you know, somebody might get mad at me for mixing DC with Marvel, but we're going to go with it. The purists in our, in our company, they might get upset. But this guy, that's Hawkman. And so they've got different powers, right? And so I want to ask you, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? What would your superpower be? Anybody. You can speak up. This is interactive. You guys don't have, nobody wants a superpower? What would your superpower be? That's a, that's a great one. Speak up. Come on. Some mental telepathy. Somebody said to be able to fly. Spider-Man, you know, he got bit by a radioactive spider, and he can crawl up walls, and he's got super strength. And Wolverine has super healing power, right, that no matter what happens to him, he always just bounces back like it's nothing. Iron Man, he's got that really cool suit so he can fly, and he's got technology, and he's really smart, and he's cool. And then you got Hulk, who, what, what's Hulk's superpower? Strength, right? He just likes to do what? What does Hulk do? Smash. Hulk just likes to smash. But when I asked that question, somebody had to just ruin it for me and say, my superpower would be to praise God. Well, that's actually where I'm kind of going with this. Is that as Christians, there's a passage in Scripture that I'm going to turn to now. Hopefully I earmarked it so that I don't take a whole lot of time. But it's the same one that we read together there at the beginning. It says, if you died with Christ to the values, it's the word in in Greek, which I'm sure you guys are all going to remember, stoikion. Can you guys say stoikion? Stoikion. You're probably going to go home and recite that and tell people stoikion. It means values, patterns, elements, all those kinds of things. You're probably going to remember that forever. If you died with Christ to the stoikion, the elements, the values of this world, why then do you live as if you still belong to the world? And you know what? We as Christians, we are guilty of that. And I'm not just pointing my finger at you guys or people out there. I'm guilty of that. You can just ask my son, Connor. You could ask my wife. You could ask even people in the church, and they can say, Pastor Kevin, you're not perfect. And I would say, you are absolutely right. You know that song that we were singing? It says, when addiction steals my baby girl, my only hope is to trust in you. 
is that that's true. And when we ever get away from our hope being exclusively in Jesus and it becomes anything other than our hope in him, if we start relying on, you know, our smarts, how many Bible verses we have memorized, we start thinking of other things that it's like, oh, I've memorized the Bible. I know all the books of the Bible. I know all the stories of the Bible. I go to church all the time. I got baptized. I've done all these things. And then our hope stops being in Jesus, and it starts being in things. And so our superpower should be this idea from the book of Colossians. It should be about our humility. What if we had the superpower of humility? Can you guys imagine if we had the superpower of humility? Do you know who had that superpower? Jesus had it that he humbled himself and he stepped down from heaven and he allowed himself to be born in flesh. And do you know what he was born in? Was he born in a palace? He was born in a manger. And what's a manger? It's a food bowl. The king of eternity allowed himself to take on flesh and to be born in a filthy animal pen And not just in a filthy animal pen, but literally inside of a feeding trough. And then he allowed himself to dwell among us with all of our sin and all of our hatred and all of our ugliness. And then he allowed us, sinful people, to say ugly things to him. And then to arrest him, even though he's perfect and spotless and innocent, what we did... We can't blame the Jews. We can't blame the Romans. We can only blame ourselves. Is that we nailed him to a cross. But you know what? The Bible tells us that Jesus knew that was going to happen before he ever came here. It says the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He knew that. And when he was up there, do you know what he did? When he was nailed to the cross for six hours suffering and in pain, six hours. Do you know what he did? He prayed for you, and he prayed for you, and he prayed for you, and he prayed for me, and he prayed as the blessing to all people on earth for all time, forever. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could you imagine that, having that kind of humility and having that kind of forgiveness and having that kind of patience and gentleness and obedience. Can you imagine? If we had that superpower, you know the problem with superheroes is, is that superheroes, they don't have any power. They don't have any strength or powers that can break the chains of sin. As strong as Hulk is, he can't break the chains of sin. As strong as Superman is, he can't break the chains of sin. If you can fly, if you're invisible, if you have mental telepathy, You can't break the chains of sin. No one can, except Jesus. Nobody can. But when Jesus proclaims that he's king, the Apostle Paul, what he said is that, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Do you guys know what the gospel is? What's the good news? It's a very specific part of the word of God. Let's ask the adults, okay? What is the gospel? Jesus is king. That's the gospel. And what Jesus said, Paul said in 
several places in the scripture, but especially in Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? It's God's power to do what? To break the chains. It's God's power unto salvation for everyone believing. Isn't that amazing? That there's no other power in heaven or earth that can break the chains of sin. Did you know that everybody comes into the world in bondage and in chains to sin? But if we believe that Jesus is king and we abandon our lives unto him, then those chains are broken. And then we have the freedom, instead of living by the power of the world, instead of thinking about the superpowers that these guys have that really can't do anything, because you know what happens after, you know, Hulk smashes? There's another villain that he's got to smash tomorrow. And after Iron Man solves a problem, guess what happens? There's another problem, another villain tomorrow. But you know what? Jesus defeated Satan when he rose again on the third day. And so that's why we say Satan is the eternally defeated one. We already know the end of the story. Who wins? Jesus wins in the end. And if we identify with him, if we identify with Jesus, he breaks our chains and then we get to live with him forever and ever. Not just in heaven, but here on earth too. Isn't that awesome? So let's pray together. And we can ask that maybe there's somebody here today that hasn't called Jesus their king. Maybe they've said it with their lips, but they've never truly believed it in their heart. And what Jesus said is that our unity, our testimony as the bride and body of the church, that that has the power to break people's chains. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You are king. That's a truth, not just because we say it or we believe it. That's just reality. Jesus is king. That's the good news. And so, Jesus, we pray today that through our testimony as a church, through the word being proclaimed, our love for one another and our unity, that that would be our superpower, that that would would break the chains of sin in people's lives here today, maybe people who are hearing out there in the world as this message goes out. We love you, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. The only reason I'm behind the podium is I'm scared, so I can hide behind it a little bit. <clears throat> I think Sophia asked me if I was nervous. And I'm like, no, I sing. I am nervous. Uh, I think I'm nervous because I, I sure don't want this to be my testimony. I know it says John's testimony, but it's a testimony to a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And I guess no matter what I say, I want you to know that my testimony is that Jesus Christ's blood covered my sins. So whatever I might say, and I might say it wrong or misquote something, I want you to know it's all in the, the whole premise is that Jesus Christ's blood covered my sins. So, man, I just, I've, I have loved hearing the other two testimonies. I don't know how y'all feel about hearing other people's testimonies. Uh, but so I'll share mine. So I was raised in a Christian home, which is an awesome thing. And I heard all the Bible stories from the day I was born. My mom was probably telling me Bible stories. And so my dad's a Christian school teacher, so he took my older brother and sister off to school. And I had mom all to myself. And every day she would tell me Bible stories. So what I remember as a kid is we talk about Moses, we talk about Noah, and then she'd tell me about Jesus Christ dying on a cross, saving, you know, for my sins to save me. 
<clears throat> and I was a young man. I was four. I wasn't very old. At the same time, though, I remember telling my mom one day, well, mom, if I died right now, though, I would, I'd go to hell. I need to get saved. And she's like, well, you know what? You, you should wait till your dad gets home. You know, it, this is a really important thing that a dad would lead his son to the Lord. It'd be a precious moment. And as a four-year-old, I looked at my mom and said, but mom, if I died before dad gets home, what then? Sorry. It's kind of a precious moment for me and my mom. <clears throat> so, as a four-year-old boy in the living room in Longview, Texas, I remember the couch, the old, ugly, red couch with white flowers. My mom and I kneeled down, put my face in the cushions, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, which is amazing. I'm glad that I was raised in a Christian home, but Part of my testimony, I've been praying about this. What should I share? And that's amazing, but I want to share a side of the testimony that can be very difficult. Is being raised in a Christian home, I can tell you the Bible stories better than you can. I know lots of verses, and I don't mean that in a braggadocious way. I'm being sarcastic a little bit. I hope you understand. But I can tell you some really weird names in the Bible that I had to memorize. I can tell you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's real names. Whoop-de-doo, right? That doesn't do anything for us. And so what Satan does, it reminds me of the parable of the sower that it hits the hard ground, and, and Satan's that burden. He comes, he'll take that seed. And he tries to steal that seed from us, even as young children. If you're raised in a Christian home, and you get this confusion of, well, I know all the things, so how do I separate what's in my head versus my heart? And it's something I struggled with, you know. When I was 13, I rededicated my life to the Lord. The Lord finally, I think, started to show me what I was saved from, if that makes sense. And he started to show me what I was saved to. And so I remember going forward at 13, it was revival and rededicating my life to the Lord. And I think at that moment, it was in some ways maybe a step of faith. I believe with all my heart as a child, I received Jesus Christ, my Savior. I believed in him. I knew it. It says that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, and I did that. At the same time, there was a moment where it was like a step of faith. Like there's this realization, like you're now accountable. And I remember that as 13 and went forward and rededicated my life. And there's some verses I wrote down. You know, it was Matthew 19:14, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such of this is the kingdom of heaven. And I just think that we have to have that, that humility and that humbleness and that mindset of our children. You know, that simple faith that I had as a four-year-old. And yet Satan can confuse it now at 41 years old. He can really confuse me with all the things of this world. And I look at my children and I remember that moment, that a simple faith of a child, I've just believed. I was willing to believe in an almighty God that he died for me and he loved me and that he would save me and that he wanted to use me. <clears throat> but you know, Brother Adam, you, you mentioned the struggle. I was talking about this with you. You mentioned the wrestling with our faith, and I do think it's okay. Don't be afraid to admit that you wrestle with your faith. It is something that we do. We, we all do this, and this has sort of been my consternation and my battle was been you wrestle with that. And, well, did I really get saved? You know, does a four-year-old really know the breadth and the width of the Bible? That's what Satan puts in your mind, and he really tries to confuse you with those things. So here's some verses. There's lots of verses, but I wanted to read you some verses that I feel like the, the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart and solidified what he did in my life and his grace and his love for me. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that the Lord, with the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made. What a great verse. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, and then the other part of this is, is our growth and our sanctification. 
So how do you, when you wrestle with it, I think part of that is the Lord starts to sanctify and work in your heart, and you start to bear those fruits of the Spirit. And I believe that's, that's sort of that relief from Satan that, that you're not saved or that, that wrestling with, with what you have in your life. So Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, be he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. You know, one of the best things that we can do after we give our life to Christ is not stop there. And I agree with Pastor Kevin. One of the things that we've done and we've hurt ourselves in the church is we believed in personal salvation. We just stopped there. But he that does the will of the Father, and that there would be, there'd be those works of the Spirit in our life, right? There would be those things that we can see that the Holy Spirit can testify back to us and say, no, you, you are firmly planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, and the Holy Spirit can help us with that. Because trust me, this is a spiritual battle. This is not a physical battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And then I want to read two other verses, and I have them on my phone just because they're long. But <clears throat> Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I truly believe that God shows us, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and shows us salvation he gives us. The Bible says that no man can pluck us out of his hand. And I still remember, when I was a kid, I don't know if it's the right example or not, but I still remember I went up there, and, and John Abraham was a really big man, and he's like, okay, John, I was his example. He's like, all right, hold this in your hand. So I held it in his hand, or I held this, a key or something in my hand, and he's like, okay, that's salvation. But the Bible says that God then wraps around Jesus Christ's hands. So he puts his, both his big bear paws around my hand, and he dares any other seven-year-old boy to come get that key out of my hand. Right? And that's our salvation. God gives us an assurance like no other, and it cannot be stolen away by anything or anyone. And one last verse I'd like to read. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Romans 8, at the end of Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Lord, Christ Lord Jesus Christ. So, sorry, I said that right. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So one thing I want to share is I was a four-year-old boy who gave his life to Christ. And even then, as a four-year-old boy, I had sins that I might not even understand fully. And God covered those with his love. And nothing, no matter what, nothing can come and steal that away. And I'm just so grateful, whether I was raised in a Christian home or not, but that, that God touched my heart in such a way that he would speak to me and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and give my life to him. We do not typically play uh, fight videos before every sermon, but it just seems a little crazy, doesn't it? It seems a little strange, a little odd, a little weird that someone would seek to obliterate another human being, right? To knock them out with a head kick, to choke them out, and then to raise their finger, point, pointed heavenward and say, first off, I just want to give thanks to God. It seems strange. You may not think so, but it is. It's strange. It's odd. But before we rush to judgment, I think we need to recall what Jesus said, his words from Matthew 7.22, where he said, 
For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't know about you, but to me that's a scary thought. Because I am one incredibly judgmental person. It's not just a scary thought, though. It's also a powerful truth. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5 said that we need to examine ourselves to determine whether or not we're in the faith, right? We've talked about that the last couple of weeks as we're in this sermon series, King Jesus, He's Our Testimony. But I wonder if we're guilty of something very similar, if not the same, as the fighter who just demolished an opponent, points their finger heavenward and says, first of all, I just want to thank God for my triumph, my destruction over another person, another group. In Scripture, Joshua chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but you're certainly welcome to. The Israelites have been promised the promised land, Canaan, right? They're going into Canaan. After wandering in the desert for their rebellion against God, they're finally going in. Joshua's the new leader. The torch has been handed from Moses to Joshua. They send some spies in to seek, figure out what's going on in this place called Jericho. And then eventually... They're right there. They're just about to go in to conquer the city of Jericho. And in chapter 5, verse 13, it reads, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him, and I could just imagine Joshua just a little cautious, a little leery of this guy standing there in front of Jericho, and the question came to his mind, are you on our side or are you on their side? I think that's what we do. We say the very same thing to Jesus. Jesus, are you on my side? God is on my side. We even have songs that we sing about that. God is on my side. And I want you to know that God is not on your side. Maybe that rocks your world. Maybe that shakes your theology. Maybe it brings the house down. And it should. Because God is not on your side. We're either on his side or we're on the wrong side. See, because that's what Scripture says. The man, the one with the sword, replied in verse 14, Neither! See, your whole conception, your whole idea, your philosophy of what's going down right here, right now, is it's not about your side and their side. It's about God's side. It's about his will, his mission to be a blessing to all peoples on earth. And when you're like those people living in Jericho and you get in the way of that, you are going down. No question. Neither, he replied, I've now come as the commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship. Do you know who this man was? Why he was worthy of Joshua's worship? Why the ground that Joshua was standing on was holy ground? 
This is God. Sometimes we call it a theophany in our seminary and religious circles because we want to impress you. It's called a theophany. It's called Jesus was there. God was there incarnate in some way, shape, or form before he stepped down from heaven and was born in a manger. The commander of the Lord's army was the Lord himself. Neither. See, I think the picture I want to paint in our minds is that man that's standing there after punching someone in the face, after kicking them in the head, after choking them out. So oftentimes that's us. First of all, I want to thank God that I won. That's first off. How ridiculous. At what detriment? In John 17, 20 through 30, we've covered this in the last couple of weeks. It's where Jesus is praying to the Father, right? Jesus is praying to the Father. Soon he's going to go to a cross. He's going to die for the sins of all humanity. That our hope and our faith and our trust is either in him as our king who died for our sins, or it's in nothing. Not in denominational pride. Not our little badge of honor, not all the little scripture memory verses and the vest that we wear. When we go to heaven, Jesus isn't going to check to see if you have an Awana vest on. He's not going to ask you how many verses you have memorized. They're not bad things, but when our hope and our faith and our trust is in anything other than Jesus. That's what I love about that song that we sang. When addiction steals my baby girl and there's nothing I could do. My only hope is to trust in you. That was our only hope ever. And what we did is we strayed away from that and we started to put our hope in something else. And Paul wrote in Romans, he said, anything that does not come from faith is sin. It's sin. Jesus prayed for our unity, folks. He prayed that our unity within the body and the bride of Christ. But what we do is we say, we don't like those Presbyterians down the road. They're a little weird. We don't like those Methodists. We don't like those people of that other denomination. We don't like those people who left our church family because of your pastor's guilty of that. Guilty as charged. Let them go. Let them move on down the road. Let them find another church. Sin. And I'm sorry. Not just to God, but to you, church. I'm sorry. I've sinned. But there's forgiveness in Christ. It's not a superficial kindness. You ever been to a church and you walk in and everybody's got a smile? And they're really sweet people, and they're really nice. Golly, these people are really nice. And then you stick around for a month or two, and you start to hear about the dirt and the ugliness, and that lady right there doesn't like that lady over there. That's why they're sitting on opposite sides. And that person over there doesn't like that person over there, and that family doesn't like that family. And that superficial sheen of kindness, once you kind of get past it a little bit, you start to see the ugliness, right? And that's the stuff that Jesus told those Pharisees. The outside of your cup looks nice, but on the inside it's disgusting. 
It's filthy, see, because you want to look good, but your hearts are filthy. Filthy to the point that you want to send me to a cross and crucify me. But Jesus said, I'm okay with that. As a matter of fact, that's why I came. It's not a surprise. Historically, we throw down the gauntlet of what amounts to personal preference, carpet color, music style. I'm going to leave the church because they play too much contemporary songs. I don't like it. I want to go to a church where my preference, my hymns, my denominational distinctives, my brand of donuts, my flavor of coffee, my Bible translation. I don't like that the pastor comes up with his own. I don't like it. Wine versus grape juice. Church split. Until we've surrounded ourselves with what? Diversity? Or is it that we've surrounded ourselves with people that think like us, and they look like us, and they believe in the same things that we believe in, and so we just parse it and dissect it until it ends up being the church of Kevin, or the church of Tanya, or the church of Brittany, or Winston, or whoever. And that's not what Jesus said. He said there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. He wasn't advocating for gender ambiguity. He was saying that there's diversity in the body, and we're all equal. We're all equal. So why, then, when people offend us, do we take our ball and go home? It's a division, right? Did Jesus pray for our division? Did Jesus pray for our division? He didn't, did he? But yet, when we get our delicate sensibilities offended, I'm out of here. I'm going down the road. And you know what? The pastor didn't call me to see whether I'm coming back or not. I'm going down the road, and I'm going to go to a church where people think like me, and they talk like me, and they're in the same economic bracket that I'm in. And they drive the same kind of car that I drive. Maybe that's a beat-up old farm truck, or maybe it's a $250,000 Mercedes. But I want to be around people that look like me and talk like me. Is that what Jesus said? Or, or instead of taking our ball and going home, what we do is we employ our doctrinal arguments. The reason why you Methodists are wrong is because Because the reason why you Church of Christ people are wrong, elbow smash. The reason why you Presbyterians are wrong, guillotine, yeah. First off, I want to thank God that I'm right and you're wrong. See, because when we all die and we go to heaven, Jesus is going to be standing there and he's going to say, Baptist, oh, yep, down the hall to the left. Presbyterian, Church of Christ, oh, a little bit further down to your right. So if we can't get it now, folks, if we can't get it now, what's going to happen then? What's the revolutionary thing that's going to change in our hearts and our minds that's going to make heaven more palpable? What's going to change? Jesus Christ is king. Can you all say that with me? Jesus Christ is king. And if we can agree on that, and I'm not saying if you think your Jesus is a grapefruit, We're not in the same basket, right? Because there are certain people, certain groups that say, oh, I believe in Jesus too. 
But he's just not an eternal being. He's not the eternal son of God. He's a created being, but we believe in the same Jesus. No, no. There are certain things that we're not going to let go of, like Holy Trinity, right? We're not going to let go of the fact that we're all sinners because the Bible says that. We're not going to let go of the fact that Jesus' death on the cross is the only thing that brings us redemption. We're not going to let go. None of those things, division or destruction, edify the body. The body that's a diverse group of people, neither of which fosters unity in the gospel. But yet, oftentimes, even in this church, even in this man, maybe even in you, we wonder why our testimony is pathetic. We wonder why. Why isn't there legitimate power? Why isn't there a harvest that's being produced? Because Jesus said, if you live it and you believe it, then there's going to be an abundant harvest. A hundred, sixty, thirty times that which is sown. And we wonder, am I doing something wrong? That's a great question to ask. Colossians 2.20. Again, if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn there. Your translation may be a little different than mine. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay. It's okay that your translation's different than mine. Mine didn't fall out of heaven and neither did yours. Colossians 2.20. This is the same passage, the same verse that we read at the onset of the service. It's the same one that I read to those kids. When I was in seminary, Professor Hendricks said, if you notice repetition in the Bible, if you notice repetition when I'm speaking, when I'm teaching you ladies and gentlemen, take note of it. So repetition, Colossians 2.20, take note. If you died with Christ to the values, the stoichion, We have the kids say that. I want everybody to say it now. Stoichion. Ready? One, two, three. Stoichion. Maybe your Bible translation says elements. Maybe it it says something other than that. It's stoichion. It means the values, the principles, the fundamental building blocks of this fallen, broken world. If you died with Christ to the stoichion of this world, why then? Why? If... If the first part is true, if you died with Christ, then why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why? Do you want me to tell you? No? No response. I'll tell you because you guys asked after I coached a little bit. There's only two viable answers that I can come up with. I'm not God. I'm just pointing that out, and I don't play him on TV. There's only two viable options that I can conceive. Either A, we still belong to it when it says, go back please, why? Why, if you've died with Christ, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? A, we either still belong to the world, 
We've not been born again by faith. We're still holding on. We're still putting our faith and our hope and our trust in something other than the good news, the gospel. Jesus is king. That's A. Or B, we've abandoned our roots. We've forgotten grace. Anybody here ever guilty of that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I am. I've been guilty of that. Even today. We've turned our hope of salvation into a works-based religion. We're proud of our abstinence from fill-in-the-blank, right? I even tell people, I'm a good Baptist. I haven't had a drop of alcohol ever. I haven't had a drop of alcohol in whatever. Why are we telling people that? Do we want a medal? Do we want an award? Or do we want to proclaim the gospel? Hey, you know what, Mike? Jesus is king because Paul says that the gospel is the thing that's God's power unto salvation for everyone believing. That is the power of God, and that's it. But what we do, so oftentimes we forget grace, we forget the gospel, And we put our hope in something else until God lovingly rocks our worlds. And then we go, my only hope is to trust in you. That's your only hope ever. So stop preaching and proclaiming a false gospel. Stop. Revelation 2.24, Jesus appears to John, the author, in this ecstatic, crazy vision. It's the whole book is this crazy, apocalyptic disclosure, uncovering, unveiling of something so amazing that he can't hardly put words to it. And he's taken broken, fallen human language, and he's trying to communicate something beautiful that God has revealed to him. And people say, Revelation's weird. It is weird. It's weird because it's something that our brains can't wrap around. Not today. Not when we get to heaven. Not when we've been there 10,000 years we still won't be able to communicate the breadth, the width, the height, the love of God. We can't. And so when you read Revelation, if you say, oh, I got it figured out, you're a liar. You're a liar. You don't have it figured out. But I'll tell you something that Jesus said. I know your deeds your labor, your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate those who are evil. You've tested and exposed as liars those who falsely claim to be apostles, sent ones. Without growing weary, you have persevered and endured many things for the sake of my name. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Boy, howdy. Kind of straighten my shirt up and... Jesus is impressed with all the things I've been doing, John. How about that? Oop! And then Jesus says, but I have this against you. See, you went and you put your hope in all of these things, all of these externals, all of this stuff. But Jesus says, I've got this against you. You've forsaken. You've abandoned your first love. And the Savior of the world is standing there, and he's, I imagine, 
you've forsaken me. You think that what you're going to do is you're going to tell something, something to someone about the stuff that you've been doing, and they're going to go, wow. How many millions have you contributed to missions? Wow, that's impressive. That's my voice. That's impressive. I'm very impressed with that. Boy, you must know Jesus. Jesus must be a friend of yours because you've donated millions of dollars to missions. It's impressive. How many children are in your children's ministry? Wow, that's fantastic. You see, what we do is we put our hope in all of these externals. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I don't even need to preach on this. Thank you, John, because he covered it in his testimony earlier. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it begins and it says, And you were, what? And you were dead. Does anybody, can anyone help me out what it means to be dead? Have you ever seen The Prince's Bride, Billy Crystal? There's a big difference between all dead and mostly dead. Because when you're all dead, there's nothing you can do. But with mostly dead, they're still partly alive. And see, what I think as Christians, what we really think is we're not really dead. We're kind of like in the Princess Bride. We're just mostly dead. And so Jesus is going to be really impressed with me that I put my faith in Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you? Or is it a gift of grace that even your ability to decide to be obedient is because of him? What are you hanging your hat on? What are you hanging your hat on? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Who, who's the you? Is that me? Who's the you? It's plural. He's not talking to one person. He's talking to the entire church in Ephesus. He's actually talking by the power of the Holy Spirit to all of humanity. And if you want to get into nuancing and parsing and dissecting and saying, well, our church doesn't believe in original sin. Well, our church does believe in original sin. Do you believe the Bible? Whether you believe in original sin or not isn't the issue. I believe it because it's in, the, in Scripture. But even if you don't, it says you were dead. So at some point, and we believe that it's from the moment of conception because that's what it says in Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Your little child wasn't born an angel. They were born a child, the wrath of God, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, the stoichion, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that's Satan, Lucifer, the defeated one, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh, even in church. This is my pet project, Pastor. I want to do this thing, and if you don't like it, I'm leaving. I'm going to go down there where they'll listen to me because that's your fleshly desire. 
as opposed to saying, Pastor, how can I serve? Not that I have a pet project, not that I think you need to appoint me to do something, to be something, to be the fry manager, the manager over some aspect, some dimension, some part of the church. And when people come here and they say, you'd really be lucky to have me on your team. Are you ready and willing to serve as a member of the body and the bride? How about if we start with scrubbing toilets? Well, that's beneath me. So Jesus, the king of eternity, took on flesh, was born in a manger, in a feeding trough, died for our sins. That wasn't beneath him, but there's something in our lives that's beneath us. Really? See, that's who we were. You were dead. And then in verse 4 it says, but... God. Can y'all say that with me? But God. You, that's all of us, everybody, every person who ever was, ever will be, you were dead. Some people here today are still there, right? Some people are still there. Some people who are going to hear this out in the world, and we don't want them to say, oh, well, you know, if I can't physically be there, if I can't agree with their denominational distinctives, if I don't have the same Bible translation that they have, I've got no hope. Because I'm stuck in my sin, because God can't forgive me, wrong! But God, period. He could have just ended it right there. But he didn't because we're dense. I'm dense. Not pointing my finger at you. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, that's his covenant love, because of his great love, for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by what? You were saved by all together now, you were saved by grace. That's it. So let's take our hat that we're hanging on something that we've done some accomplishment that we've made as an individual, as a family, as a church, and we're going to take it off of that, and we're going to go and we're going to put it back over on grace, on Christ, our Savior, who died at Calvary just because. Just because. You were dead, but God. So why do we sometimes, oftentimes, preach another gospel? I don't know if you've been guilty of this, but I know that there are people in church, I've probably been guilty of it to some extent in the past, I can't believe that that person would show up to church, dot, dot, dot. I can't believe you'd show up drunk. I can't believe you'd show up high. I can't believe you'd show up smelling or looking the way that you do. I can't believe that you'd come here with those tattoos exposed. I can't believe that you'd show up in the house of God, sinful, dirty, wretched you. Where do you want them to go? If they're not welcome here, where are they welcome? Maybe you don't remember this passage of Scripture. It's from Matthew 9, 12. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. Who's righteous? Who's righteous? 
No one but God. No one. So Jesus isn't saying there's a category of people that I don't really need to minister to. There's a category of people who really don't need me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that all of humanity falls into the category of sinner. You all need me. But some of you, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, you think you got it all figured out because of your haircut, because of your nifty little hats, because of your tassels and your robes, because of the place where you worship, because of your Bible study, because of your translation of the Bible, because of the time that you meet on Sunday or Saturday night. Because if you're distinctives, you think you got it. Jesus says, no, all sinners need me. And that's why I came. Ephesians 6 through 10 to finish out that passage. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why did Jesus do us? Why did he do us that way? Why did he save us? So that he could lift us up and put us on an eternal billboard and saying, I love you. That's why he did it. Not so that Kevin can say, I was a pastor of a church in poetry, so I probably need a I need a special place over there. Jesus is going to want to kind of have like an extra little special spot in heaven for me. No. Are you obedient to the call and the ministry that God has given you or not? This fan is blowing my pages. This is my brilliant idea to put a fan up here, and it keeps blowing my pages, so I'm sorry. i got to turn back. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Then why do we continually boast about what we do? Not from work, so that no one can boast. For we, that's not us, Poetry Baptist Church. That's not the Methodists. That's not the Presbyterians. That's not any other group. We we who profess in unity in the gospel, Jesus Christ is king. If that's your profession, if you've confessed with your lips and you believe that in your heart and you've submitted to his authority and his reign and his rule and his will, not just for your life, but his will, period, you will be saved. And everyone that has that same testimony in unity, we are his poema. We are his craftsmanship. We are his handiwork, his masterpiece. The bride of Christ is Christ's masterpiece. Amen? I'm almost done. In Colossians chapter 2, we read that passage. If you died with Christ to the stoichion of this world. Why then do you live as if you still belong to the world? There's a list of verbs in chapter 3. If you've been raised with Christ, another if, seek the things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death in verse 5 of chapter 3. What belongs to your earthly nature? Set your mind on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Put to death. Further down in verse 12, Therefore, as God's elect, holy and dearly loved, 
put on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has any grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. My sister Deborah doesn't deserve my forgiveness. She's wronged me. By the measure you use, Kevin, it will be measured to you. My mom and dad, they don't deserve my forgiveness. The measure you use will be measured to you. It's not about asking Jesus into your heart. It's about whether or not we truly live in grace, in unity, in the gospel, as the bride in the body of Christ. Verse 14, above all, put on love. Why? Above all, put on love because it's the perfect bond of unity. It's the thing that ties everything else together. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule and reign in your hearts and be thankful. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. I was just telling Connor this morning. Para, like parallel lines alongside. Bole, where parallel, bole, what goes alongside life. That's what a parable is. Jesus says, he also, or it says in that passage, 18, says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. They're greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this lowly tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We began today with a scripture verse, Colossians 2.20. If, if you died with Christ to the stoicheon, the values, the principles, the stuff, the building blocks of the world... Why? Why do you still live as if you still belong to the world? We said there's two answers, right? It's either because you still do or you've forgotten grace. You still do or you've forgotten grace. But the beauty of Christ Jesus and what he's done is that it doesn't matter whether you're in category A or category B. The cross covers it all. As John said in his testimony, 
So today, during this time of invitation, this time of response, how are you going to respond? If you found yourself in that category, maybe I've never truly given my life to God. Tell him that. God, I struggle with whether or not I'm saved because there's no fruit. There's something that feels like it's missing in my life. It doesn't matter if it's category A or category B. There's redemption and salvation in Christ alone.